Welcome to the Player Pool Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of NFL daily fantasy sports. If you are tired of following the crowd, being held hostage to whatever tout you're following on Twitter that month, feeling like there's so many options you don't even know where to begin, then the Player Pool Podcast is the right place for you. Here, we aren't going to spoon feed you lineups. Each week, we'll discuss our player pool and walk through the decision tree that you must navigate while building your roster. The player pool is not just a giant list of all fantasy relevant players, okay? It's also not a weekly player picks machine. If you're hooked on those, you require the minimum amount of work each week to play fantasy football, and I think your results are deserved. So here's your warning. If you want to embrace the player pool process as I have to great DFS success, DFS success to the level where my wife checks in on Saturdays to make sure I've done my lineups or not. Then it's going to require you to do some work. But I'm going to tell you something. You're going to like it. Because it's going to be your product. Your NFL football, fantasy football brain that comes out at the end of the week. Not somebody else's. So this podcast isn't for the faint-hearted or the risk-adverse. It's about to get weird and unconventional. So buckle up. Are you ready to take your DFS game to a whole new level? Then it's time to dive headfirst into the player pool. It's the Player Pool Podcast with your host, Austin Raboyne. Hello, welcome to the Player Pool. This episode will serve as the show's anchor as we discuss the terms icons and symbols needed in order to construct your player pool this is going to be like teaching you the verbiage the lingo and all the material and then throughout the season we'll do our best to apply and discuss how the real-time context of the league will fit into this process this episode will serve as kind of like the dictionary or the index i guess you could say of the player pool process um, so we're going to get right into it. First step, if you are doing the player pool process, is you have to go get yourself a journal. Okay, so there's school supplies needed for this. So say we're preparing for week one. You got your journal open. See both pages. You're creating four columns across the pages. Column one, QB. Column two, running back. Column three, wide receiver. Give yourself kind of two column space there for wide receiver. That's typically where the most players Names are going to be written down. And then finally, your last column will be for your tight ends. There won't be a column for defenses. You'll have a smaller list at the bottom right corner of your player pool where later you'll plug in defenses. And the same goes in for other things like game stacks and other minor notes you'll make to yourself. Uh, those will all be kind of at the bottom. But it all starts with these, these player position columns. First thing we're doing, I call it a first look, but a first build. You're going to go to a... Projected starting lineup website. I like to use Roto Grinders because I can save it to my phone and it's like an app. And you are going to look at that slate, whichever one you're targeting, which I am always using this process to play the main slates on Sunday. You're going to go through the projected starting lineups and add in, in your columns, every player that you think is easy or safe to reach two times the value that they are listed for. So two times the value. That means that if a running back is $8,000 priced on FanDuel, you look at that running back and you say for sure or 
more likely, pretty likely, he's getting 16 points fantasy-wise. You need to go through every single game, no matter if you like the players or not. You're going to go through the projected lineups and see and add all these players to to their columns according to position. And next to their name, I want you to add their price, too. For me, I don't write the full number. I just do 6.9 for 6,900, something like that. Now, first position we'll talk about specifically when it comes to ascertaining their value. Okay, the very first position we're going to have a slogan for, and I've had this motto, this slogan over this position group for years, and it has really set me apart. Now, when I say this, it's purely, purely for fantasy purposes only. I promise I think this position in the NFL is gaining value when it comes to winning an actual football every year. Uh, These guys are getting paid more than your top running backs at this point. But the motto when trying to value tight ends or trying to even select tight ends for your lineup is disrespect the tight end position in daily fantasy football. It's just how it is because the good ones get priced like the highest or best receivers in the league and the middle ones get priced like above average wide receivers. So if you look at the returns on tight ends, honestly, two through 12 in the league, their average value return back is usually around 1.7 times their price. So only with tight ends are you, you need to fill up your tight end column with any and all, the lowest priced, uh, anything that could be remotely possible of a play because the deeper value you find at tight end will set the tone for how rich the rest of your lineup will be. So I'll say it again, purely for fantasy. Uh, If Travis Kelsey accidentally hears this podcast down the road, I I don't need him to show up, you know, and beat me up. But when it comes to daily fantasy sports, disrespect the tight end position, adding guys who you think are going to see Four targets plus and work from there. Now, again, this isn't to say down the road I'm going to say never play Cav- Travis Kelsey either. Sometimes his price, if you select it, will break your lineup. So when you're going through and trying to say, hey, which tight ends are two times the value, uh, that rule doesn't necessarily apply to tight ends. Add in the guys who at least are going to just see some work. Dig for value at the tight end position. So after you're done with your first look, you should have anywhere from you know five – to eight quarterbacks, maybe 10, 12 running backs, 20-ish wide receivers filled in, you know, maybe 10 tight ends, maybe less. There's been weeks I've had less. Uh, You're going to take a a highlighter, and you need to go through that list that you just created, and I want you to highlight every player that is preferred by you, okay? So remember, at the very beginning of this podcast, I said I'm not going to spoon-feed you lineups. What you're going to create at the end of this is going to be your own. So this is the very first step in that. So I want you to go through and highlight all the players that if you looked at them, you're like, yeah, that's a dude. That's a dude. I want that dude in my lineup. I want that dude in my lineup. Don't worry if two-thirds of what you just created in your player pool is highlighted by the time you're done. If that's how you feel, that's what it is. And we're going to add icons and symbols to this as we go. That's going to help you kind of narrow down your choices once it's time to make lineups. We're not here to make one single lineup. We are here to make anywhere from like three to nine, that kind of a range, okay? So go through. I call this your your preferreds. 
You're going to highlight them, either yellow, green. Make sure they're all the same color, though, when they're your preferreds, because we're going to use another highlighter color um, in a minute here. So go through everything, highlight everything. Um, and then from this point on, you know, your first look is completed. And now we're going to start adding icons uh, to players to kind of identify who they are in this league. And this, again, is a place where it's going to come to how you view the league. Now, we're going to, throughout this season, I think we're going to bounce back and forth, and we'll discuss it every week of who we think falls into what category. But at the end of the day, like you got to hold true to what your beliefs are, and you got to close your eyes to all these pick websites, and here are the top five players to play this week. I got 100 times better at Daily Fantasy Sports the minute I stopped clicking on those pick these players articles. you got to move on. Got to grow up. Hasn't worked for you so far. Uh, I think you're only here right now because we kind of mentioned it at the beginning. So trust and blind yourself to those articles. It just it just holds you back at this point. Let your fantasy knowledge explode. So here, here we go. Here are the icons or kind of the categories, the labels we're throwing on all these players. And the very first one is the most explosive. Okay, so it is slate breakers. That's the term, slate breaker. What are slate breakers? These are proven nuclear players that every week get the amount of volume to be a top five score on the slate bar none i'm talking above quarterbacks and everything some traits i think that slate breakers have in common are that they're proven they're notorious right so like tyree kills a good example a guy who can just go absolutely bonkers, especially when he was with the Chiefs. But because they're notorious, that means they're known. And these slate breakers will always, always, always carry with them a decent chunk of ownership percentage, okay? So if that's if ownership is new to you in daily fantasy sports, catch up. Because popular players that have a good reputation in this league, they'll always carry with themselves ownership. And in daily fantasy sports, the prize pool it's only anywhere from like 10, 12 to 21% of the field are cashing. So if one of these slate breakers goes off and you opted out that week and, and he just does his thing and hits, you know, 30 fantasy points that week, that shelf just rose way above your head. You're never seeing the top. Okay, so that's why we identify slate breakers. So some, some good examples of slate breakers, and I have a great example. Last year, week one, I identified... Three receivers that were slate breakers week one of 2022 season. You can guess them. They're pretty obvious. They're Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, and Jamar Chase. Okay. I, at the time, was still fighting this lesson of how to treat and respect and identify slate breakers. I had done the last part correctly. I identified them. But I didn't play Justin Jefferson or Devontae Adams, and I had my reasons. I said Justin Jefferson's going against the Packers. They got Jair Alexander. What a horrible matchup for him. The Packers may be ahead in this game. It may be messy for the Vikings. You know, I have my reasons. But at the end of the day, the fact that he was a slate breaker should have held me true. Because what did Justin Jefferson go off for in week one, 2022? Nine catches, 184 yards, two touchdowns, around 35 fantasy points. See ya. Okay. The next guy, Devontae Adams, first game with the Raiders. We don't know what to expect. But he's a proven slate breaker. He had been for at least three years before. I opted out to just wait and see. And he went for 10 catches, 141 yards, and, and a touchdown for around 25 fantasy points. Now, I felt good as that day was going on because I did have Jamar Chase. And he was my counter 
to these two players, to Devontae and Justin Jefferson. And Jamar Chase, as a slate breaker, he did his thing too that week. He went 10 catches, 129, and a touchdown. But that came out to around 23 fantasy points at the end of the day. And the fact that I owned one slate breaker and not the rest didn't matter. Because I didn't cover myself with the guys who are proven to blow it up. So obviously Justin Jefferson's going to hold at least 15% ownership, right? Devontae Adams, he's definitely holding 15% ownership. So even though my player's going off, I'm sitting outside the money all day. Like, what happened? What happened? And it's only because I journal and look back that I notice that I got lucky. I, I guess I should say I got unlucky by not having these guys. When you have a slate breaker, price is not a factor. Another good example of a slate breaker running back would be, you know, honestly would be King Henry, right? Anytime he plays the Colts, especially on turf, he eats him alive. Derrick Henry's definitely been kind of on the line of slate breaker, not slate breaker, but my theory on him, my stance on him all season is he is an alien and, and he's a slate breaker till he shows me otherwise. You know, Christian McCaffrey last year in weeks 13, 14, 17, if he was not in your lineups and you didn't have the perfect combination instead, uh, you were just sitting outside the money all day. So the players that are proven, that are popular, that can blow it up because they get all the opportunity in the world, those are slate breakers. But they got to be all those things, especially the popular part. So think about that. These players aren't hard to identify. They're the players that are picked in like the top 15 picks of a traditional season long. So another good thing to say about slate breakers is price is not a factor. And the last thing I'll say, because you're going to identify all of them in your player pool, but when you're trying to work in the prices into a lineup, uh, you know, sometimes it can't work. Sometimes you're not willing to make that fifth or sixth lineup uh, just because it's too expensive, and I get that. So with slate breakers, while you'll identify them, some weeks you'll have four or five, some weeks you'll have eight, some weeks you'll have like two. But identify them at least. You aren't committing to playing these guys, but you are very very aware that the more you do not have exposure to these guys, the higher likelihood it is that you miss out on the party, that you miss out on the cash. I would suggest never having any more than one or two slate breakers out of your lineups. So the next symbol, icon, label that we got to talk about is studs, okay? And in your player pool, I'll identify studs by writing a money sign to the left of their name. And studs are similar to slate breakers, but there is one main difference. Slate breakers don't ruin your lineups if they don't break the slate. Does that make sense? So if Tyreek Hill goes out and doesn't drop 30 fantasy points, he still, like on an average day of work, falls in the 10-point, 20-point range. Studs are the guys who are capable or are getting the opportunity to put up good stats but they also have that kind of that bottom floor too that could be, you know, 4.8 fantasy points kind of ruins me. They also aren't really sitting in the prime opportunity position with their teams because all teams are trying to do something different. Both studs and slate breakers are usable. Both of these types of players just carry different reputation in the minds of ownership. So some good examples of this are A.J. Brown versus Justin Jefferson. Last year, A.J. Brown averaged, because this is how his team runs, averaged about 7.25 targets per game, which would mean he needs to have one or two monster catches or touchdowns to really break the slate. Whereas you have a guy like Justin Jefferson who on an average day of work, his team is trying to feed him 10.8 targets a game. That's a big difference. 
Another example of a stud versus a slate breaker is, I keep going back to him because he's been a, a slate breaker almost his whole career, but Tyreek Hill uh, versus DK Metcalf. Okay, both freak athletes, popular, both capable. Uh, but Tyreek Hill last year, he was, a, he was a, a slate breaker in six games where he had over 140 yards in six games. Uh, DK Metcalf, with all his reputation and all his powers, uh, he only broke 20 fantasy points three times. He never scored higher than 26. So there's the difference. But I would never say Metcalf is out of your player pool. It's just he's a stud and he's a piece. And honestly, usually his price will represent that. His price is usually easier on FanDuel. It's somewhere between 68. You know, and when he's at his when he's playing really well, it's like an eight. You know, you're not going to see him much higher than that. Tyreek Hill lives at 8K more, more times than not. He's got to have three bad weeks for that thing to slip below 8K. So, you know, another example, I'll keep going back to the well here, but Derrick Henry versus uh, Kenneth Walker or, you know, Austin Eckler versus Damian Pierce. Derrick Henry, Austin Eckler, they're going at the top of your season-long fantasy drafts. They're getting their 20 minimum touches a game. Their teams are riding them into the ground, whereas Kenneth Walker, Damian Pierce, younger teams, maybe they're not on uh, a contender and their coaches are still trying to decide if they want to give them that 20-touch thing. So all four players are great. You might get better value out of Pearson Walker, but the guys who can rip the roof off of the house are obviously Austin Eckler and Derrick Henry. This isn't to say one of these guys also doesn't do that, or he may pop off and totally break a single slate in a year, but Eckler, Henry, Tyreek Hill, guys like that, they're the ones that will eat, destroy four to six weeks out of your year, and that's why they're slate breakers. So we'll discuss a lot more who falls in and out of this you know, as the year goes on. So the next icon you want to put in your player pool is negative value. So as you're looking at all your players, you're going to look at their price and their matchup, and sometimes a player kind of fits all the bills, but it is a negative value. A good example of this is Rashawn Bateman, especially at the beginning of last year. He is known as the Ravens wide receiver one last year. He starts off the year, if he wasn't high 6,000s, he was like 7,000, I think I remember. And it's purely because he's marked down as the wide receiver one on a Ravens offense. But obviously not getting the targets, obviously not getting the looks. But if the Ravens are playing a weak pass defense and it's a great matchup, but you still know he's not getting the opportunity, it's just a negative in terms like he's getting priced too high just for his role, not really what the team's trying to do production-wise. Another good example is... Any Chiefs receiver since Tyreek Hill left, okay? I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster last year was always living around 7,000 every week, but you didn't know if it was going to him or somebody else in the stable, right? So there's some guys, they're in good spots, they're in good systems, they're going to put up fantasy points, but their price just too high. It's still a good fit, but they get a negative value. Simple, put next to them in your player pool. And then the next one, you can kind of guess where this is going, is value, You'll hear about value plays all over the DFS industry, right? Because it makes it easier for you to play the slate breakers and all the fun guys, okay? So if you do find a guy who, if you see his opportunities high, the matchup's good, and his price is super low, where you look at him and you're thinking more like, dang, he can get 3x, like he can get three times the value off of that salary, put that in there. You know, put a V, circle it next to his name. And that's going to help you as you're trying to do the puzzle piece after we've built the player pool and you're trying to make your lineup. It'll highlight it for you. Sometimes value plays become the foundation of a good lineup. Which leads me to the next symbol. 
you'll put in occasionally somebody will be such a basement price you want to put in their value plus or v and then the plus sign is what i do with a circle around it uh these are guys that maybe at the beginning of the week weren't even thought to have start and then injuries came out and now they're in this position that after the pricing came out on FanDuel, you know they're in the they are like five thousand fifty five hundred um, and facing, you know, good opportunity, whether that's a running back, like I believe Deion Jackson filled in for Jonathan Taylor last year, and he was priced in the 5,000s. That's a value plus in a big old circle. Another good example, you know, Marquez Valdez Scantling last year a lot would find himself in the mid 5,000s, 5,500 or so, knowing he's getting four to five Mahomes uh, targets. You know, you put a value plus next to him just because he's in the basement, he's almost minimum value. And you're want you're going to want to be able to see that clearly as you as you're doing the puzzle piece later down uh, down the road. Uh, the next symbol we're using here is matchup plus or M plus, and I circle it next to the name. I mean, it's pretty obvious what this is, but this is a running back or a wide receiver who's going up against or quarterback just going up against a defense that either has a high over or under, so you know there's going to be a lot of points scored. Uh, or it's a you know it's a defense that can be exploited. So you at least want to know, eh, you know, if we're getting ten touches this game, but it's a weaker team, you know, those ten touches are just a little bit more valuable than the other similar wide receiver that maybe doesn't have a plus matchup. Uh, his, t- you know, the guy with the plus matchup has ten more, va- you know, his ten touches are more valuable than the guy who doesn't have a plus matchup. So it's a little thumb on the scale when it, and it helps your decision making down the road. The next symbol is. Honestly, uh, pretty obvious here, but negative matchup. So this is the opposite. You know, we don't need to spend too much time on this. But you see a running back who's going up against uh, the Tennessee Titans' defensive line. You know, uh, that's a thumb on the scale on the other side. Maybe uh, you realize if you're split between a 50-50, because that's going to happen a lot. You're going to have to make so many this or that decisions throughout the season. These little symbols and thumbs on the scale really help make it simpler. So if you see a player... He kind of checks all the other bosses, except he's you know he's about to walk into the teeth of an alligator defense. Put a put a matchup negative next to him symbol and 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 keep moving. Just got a couple more here to do the injury symbol or tag. So what I do is I put INJ next to the player, and this isn't necessarily always a negative tag or symbol. Uh, sometimes this can be beneficial. So you want to put it there because if, if you're putting it there, other people are noticing it and talking about it as well, that the player may be injured. This could affect his ownership one way or another. And I've had a lot of good weeks by just keying on beat writers on Twitter and trying to see if a player's truly limited and injured or if they're just making the NFL uh, obligations by reporting the injury. That can go either way. Now, sometimes it could also mean, nope, he's injured or he's limited. And now we have a running back by committee situation, or maybe we're going to drop his snap share. So, but you know, you still want to identify those players and do your homework on at least just make a, make a choice. You know, is this player limited or not? And if, if you feel like he's not, you might have yourself an advantage. Another symbol here, uh, and this is our last one, is, this is another popular uh, word in the DFS industry, but that's locks. What I do for this is I actually draw like a little padlock next to the player, like a square circle inside the square, then like a little, uh, you know, crescent handle on top. Kind of dorky, but, you know, it sticks out. And locks should stick out. So 
I know there's p- tons of people that put out their locks of the week. You've heard that a thousand times if you've been playing DFS as long as I have. Uh, but truly, locks should be incredibly rare. I'm talking like 10 or less a year. Most often, these locks need to be used with basement-priced starting players. So I kind of mentioned this earlier with value and value plus. But these are truly lineup-changing priced players or guys that are just in a nuts position and very low. So some good examples I was able to pull out of my journal from last year. Greg Dolt. Dol- I'm going to butcher his name all season. Greg Dolt. Dolcich. Dulcich, uh, he looks like baby Kelsey. I said that in my dynasty league, and I got hammered for saying that. But Greg Dulcich, Dulcich last year, I got it that time. Week seven, I think this was his first game back from injury. Uh, he came out starting tight end, had all the athletic intangibles. He was priced at 4000 on FanDuel, which is, I think, that doesn't get any lower than that. So plugging him in your tight end spot, you know, remembering that we disrespect the tight end position when making our choices – that opened up the whole rest of the lineup to play almost anyone I wanted, which was which is pretty nice. Another example of a lock player is last year, week 10. I believe there were some injury questions around Jonathan Taylor, but ultimately he was good to go, and he was priced at 7K. And Jonathan Taylor last year was a top five season-long you know, fantasy pick. Uh, he was considered you know top five running back. So to get to get a guy like that for 7K, I, to- I kind of took the risk. It's just like slate breakers. If you make a choice to lock a player, you're putting all your eggs in that basket. And when I say locked, I mean this guy's in every lineup, you know, seven of seven lineups. So it's a pretty strong position to take, and you better be okay with either result. Um, don't use it lightly. You shouldn't have multiple locks in a week unless, you know, it looks like D-Day out there and everyone's hurt and injured. So, um, yeah, I used Jonathan Taylor last year when he was 7K. That's an example more of a higher-priced guy or a more notable guy, but you still lock him. There you are. You have applied all these labels uh, to your players. You've written in all your symbols. Now what? Now I need you to pick up that preferred highlighter again for your preferreds, and I need you to go right back through your player pool and highlight any other guys that as you were analyzing and filling in these uh, symbols next to them you started to fall in love with okay sometimes i actually will find players that dang i just looked into them to see if these tags applied and now i don't love them okay usually got to make a note off to the side okay no no you know something like that but when you're fully done applying these tags to everybody you need to take that highlighter and go back through and highlight more of your preferreds speaking of highlighters i also like to highlight slate breakers on my player pool some people Uh, that I've worked with will keep it in a list at the bottom. But as you're staring at your player pool and you're trying to puzzle piece your lineup together, you you want those slate breakers clearly right in front of you, um, highlighted uh, a different color than your preferreds. It just makes it easier. Okay, once the player pool is built, let's talk about the order now of which you're going to build a lineup. Uh, and, And I mentioned earlier that if you build this player pool correctly, it actually makes the decision-making process of building a lineup so much simpler. And I'm actually, as I'm recording this, I'm looking down at last year, uh, last year's week 10 player pool I created, and I'm just kind of walking through the decision-making process I, that I would have done. Um, so number one thing, first step, you know, it's time to make your lineup. You're looking at your player pool. First place your eyes need to go is the tight end spot. Disrespect the tight end position. Plug in the lowest salaried tight end you have in that list this is again you know you're you are bargain bin hunting but you also better be pretty confident that tight end seeing three 
the five targets in that game. That's all you're looking for. Uh, that's how bad fantasy tight end scoring truly is after you get past uh, the very tippy top of the position. So plug that tight end in, and, and you're not committed to this tight end yet, but it's going to set the stage. So first step, always, lowest tight end, plug them in. Next step is you got to pick a defense. And the same thing with the tight end, we're just going to set the floor for right now, and later we'll try to creep up. You'll have a little list of your defenses, all usable defenses. There's no really real way to be able to ascertain their value. Some people will tell you they can figure it out. A defense is the most random outcome in fantasy football. It's hard to predict. There are a couple things you can look at. But anyway, you want to pick your defense. Go ahead and plug in your lowest viable defense, lowest price viable defense you have. And then let's get on to our next choice, which is quarterback. So the quarterback decision is where you really get to start helping yourself narrow down all the choices, all the 50-50 harder decisions that will come later in the lineup build. So the quarterback position is you're going to get to a fork in the road where you either pick a quarterback because you're stacking him with one to two other guys or you're playing a quarterback naked, which means you're not necessarily stacking or trying to stack him with anybody. You're playing a guy who you think individually can get a high score, a la Justin Fields, Patrick Mahomes. But then you're going to fill in the rest of the lineup trying to cover more of your player pool guys and get more exposure, get more spread out exposure across the board. If you pick a quarterback to stack him, then you're just automatically, you're plugging in his stacked guys that you still have. You still have plenty of salary. You're not going to get squeezed yet. And right there is your base in the lineup. Quarterback is two stacked, two to one to two stacked players, tight end, in defense. Think about that. Defense, one, tight end, two, two stacks, four, five. You're, you're trying to make nine decisions in a FanDuel lineup. You're almost taking care of half of the choices, and you haven't even got to that hard this or that kind of decision-making and really trying to play with the numbers. So get to your base in your lineup. From your base, that's when things get tricky. Getting to your base if you're playing naked quarterback is just as simple. Playing a quarterback naked means you're going to pick up one, maybe even two slate breakers in your lineup. So the same thing applies. Bargain bin, tight end, and defense. Your quarterback choice, a slate breaker or two, and you're at your base. From your base is where we really get nuanced and you got to start splitting hairs. But the value is we have gotten past at least half the decisions already needed to be made in the lineup. So all season, when we discuss lineups, the very first thing that we're going to say is, what's your base? That tells us what you're going for. If you don't have an answer to that question, then it means you haven't really thought about what this lineup is even going for. The very last step in the order of building a lineup is, you know, we established our base here at the beginning. In the middle is where a lot of the tough grinding and a lot of the sweat is going to be at. But at the very end, you're going to have a little bit of salary, maybe left over a couple hundred, maybe that's where you either throw it to the defense position or the tight end position and maybe create some diversity there. You started out playing Dulcich in seven lineups. And according to a couple of bills, three or four lineups maybe had anywhere from two to 500 left over. You can start trying to create a little bit of diversity throughout those lineups, change up some of your tight end positions or defense position. I should say this last step is still very important because if you are just maximizing the salary and those other choices, which sometimes you can't help, 
But if you have leftover salary, I would argue you absolutely have to try to boost either your tight end or your defense because you don't accidentally want to be locked into those positions. You want different ranges of outcomes available to your lineup. So unless that bargain bin tight end is stacked with the quarterback you chose and you have a little extra salary left over, you know, if he's stacked with your quarterback, change your defense. If he's not stacked with your quarterback, boost the tight end. Make some diversity there. You know, you'll have a, a better or a wider range of outcomes. It'll serve you well. And there we have it. That is the base, the core knowledge that you need to be able to soak up and understand so that we can ride through this entire fantasy football season together. Things are a lot more nuanced than I can fit into this half-hour podcast. And we'll keep massaging these terms out and get a better understanding of each term as the season goes. Uh, my hope is to be able to get two episodes out a week to you guys, a Tuesday morning show where we can kind of discuss what just happened on that NFL Sunday. Hopefully we're happy. Hopefully we're not all screaming, should have just played Kelsey. <laughs> but also I'll have a Friday show out where we can discuss the week ahead and and see which players are kind of fitting into which labels or categories for us and as we form our player pool. Lastly, I just want to say if you've made it this far in the podcast, thank you for listening. Very passionate about NFL DFS. I think if you play it the right way, it's even more fun than 95% of the field even realizes. So hopefully as we go through the year, we can all learn and grow together. Hopefully I can learn things from you. Maybe occasionally you'll learn things from me. I hope that we can find a smarter, more fun way and fulfilling way to play NFL DFS. I think that's good for the long-term health of the game. And I'm just excited to see of everybody, what can you produce yourself and how can you be different in the fantasy world and put something out there that's unique? I think every fantasy player knows the game and is smarter than they give themselves credit for. So let's get after it this season. Let's fail together. Let's succeed together. Thank you for joining me. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Player Pool Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Player Pool Pod. 